Howdy, Ta. What's up, Jed? Welcome, everyone, to another Spooky Soup Podcast episode. I am Jesse, once again. And I'm Tessa. So, how was your week? Good. Yeah, it was good. Celebrated birthday. Happy birthday. Late birthday. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, nothing too crazy. How about yours? It was good. It was pretty chill. Went swimming. That was nice. Nice, nice way to cool down. Nice. This disgusting, hot Utah heat. Oh, it's been so hot. It's been quite miserable. But it was nice to uh, cool off. So do you have the Reddit stories today? I do. Yes, I have three Reddit stories. Awesome. I think you'll like them. Okay, sweet. Well, uh, before we start off, just want to want to let all of our listeners and viewers know that you guys can submit any scary stories that you may have. Uh, we would love to read them on the podcast. You can email them to us at SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com or DM them to us on Instagram. Yeah, send us your stories. We want to read them. We've gotten a few uh, on Reddit as well, Spooky Soup Podcast, and it's it's been fun to go through them. And I actually uh, have one for next week. Oh, sweet. I can't so, wait. Yep, it's going to be awesome. All right. Well, I guess we should just get right into it. Do it. Okay. So this is from r slash short scary stories posted by you slash fisherman tales. It's called from the grave. Hang him for all to see. The sheriff said his deputies nodded and dragged the shackled and battered man out the door and to the town gallows. Noosed his neck and stood him upright. A crowd began to gather despite the darkening clouds. See this man, the sheriff said. He's done something truly awful. Any idea of his crime? The crowd shook their heads and shrugged their shoulders. Grave Robin. The crowd didn't like that one bit. Booed and hollered at the man, told him he was gonna rot in hell. And guess why he done it, the sheriff asked. Again, the crowd had not the faintest idea, and the sheriff took great pleasure in being the one to enlighten them. Because, the sheriff began, stretching the word for suspense. He claims somebody wanted dug out. How about that, huh? The dead wanted out the ground. The crowd laughed. The man paid them no mind and waited for what was to come. It had begun to rain when the sheriff came close to the man and asked, You got anything to say for yourself? The man mumbled something and the sheriff said, Speak up. I can't hear you. He's in the crowd. The sheriff stepped closer and asked, Who's in the crowd? The, the man I dug up. The sheriff laughed and turned to the crowd and said, He says one of y'all is the fella he dug up. The crowd joined the sheriff in laughing, and as they did so, the sheriff noticed a man in the back standing solemn and quiet with dirt washing off him from the rain. But there were plenty of reasons for a man to be dirty, so he ignored him. All right then, the sheriff said. Enough joking around. Let's hang this criminal. He looked at his deputies and nodded, and in a blink, the accused was dropped and his neck snapped, and he hung limp and dead for all to see. With their morbid curiosity satisfied, the crowd dispersed, but the man in the back remained. Better head inside, mister. Storm a-picking up, the sheriff said. The man did not move. He stood there staring at the sheriff, then said, You don't recognize me, do you? The sheriff squinted, then looked at his deputies, who shrugged. Then he looked back at the man and said, Should I? 
You killed an innocent man a long time ago. Another one just now. I've come back for you, just as I said I would. The sheriff laughed. What the hell is this nonsense? Get on inside before you get struck by lightning. The man stared at the sheriff through the rain, grown heavy and falling sideways with wind, then said, I'll be visiting you later. Then he turned around, and as the man walked off through the thick of the storm, the sheriff could see for the first time in a long time the gaping hole in the back of the man's head. Yo, that's a good story. <laughs> I thought so too. <laughs> your your uh, cowboy accent made it better. Thanks. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, I got the vibe <laughs> from the author that it was supposed to be read that way because they said oh, y'all. Okay. <laughs> y'all, nice. Yeah. <laughs> good twist. Yeah, I liked it. Thought it was a little spooky. Mm-hmm. All right, so this next one is also from r slash short scary stories posted by you slash the poet cure. It's called Meet My Family. Family is one of the most important things a person can have. For me, they have given me everything I can dream of. They have fed me, kept me clothed, and given me a roof over my head to protect me from what they call the weather. I don't remember anything, but my first memories take place right where I am now. Every morning, mother makes sure to wake me up, gives me my breakfast of eggs and sausage, and sometimes she even let me have chocolate milk. Lunchtime is always the best, too. She gives me a delicious, meaty sandwich to make sure I grow up to be nice and strong. Dinner's always the same, too, but I don't mind that at all. Her meatloaf is so good. Father's always quiet, but he's very big and very strong. Whenever Mother's in the kitchen, he makes sure that nobody comes up to spoil the meal, and he does such a good job. Sometimes when I get a little loud, Father makes sure to tell me, but he never hurts me. Never, ever. He says that one day... I'll make him and mother very happy. He even lets me play with action figures, crossword puzzles, and lets me read some funny books, too. My brothers and sisters are also so fun to hang out with, and mother brings home new ones every single week. I sometimes hear mother and father talk about where they find all of us. All I know is they save us from a place called a nursery, and it's in some place called a hospital. It's like I have endless amounts of fun no matter what. While it is a lot of fun, it does get a little cramped in our special room down the stairs. I always try to get a peek into mother and father's room whenever they open the door to our special room. While we do have to stay in our cages, my imagination runs wild with what they might have upstairs. Could there be unicorns? Could there be super cool robots? I won't know until I'm 15. The coolest part is that when one of us turns 15, we get selected to finally live in mother and father's room. They always select the chunkiest of us first. I don't know why, but I'm making sure to finish all my meals so I get to be first when I finally turn 15. I'm always so jealous because I can hear my brothers and sisters screaming and having fun upstairs. It must be huge up there because eventually I can't hear them anymore. After that, my parents always come down with meatloaf to make sure we get nice and chunky too. I make sure I'm very nice to my chunkier brothers and sisters because we always get more food after they get to go with mother and father. We don't get nearly as much food when we're thinner. But, yeah, that's my awesome family. We might be a little different, but all I know is that we have fun. I can't wait until I turn 15 so my parents can give my siblings a big meal to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a story I'm thinking of. Hansel and Gretel? Hansel. <laughs> Hansel. Is that it? With the It's a witch that yeah. bakes them uh -huh. in her candy cottage? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. 
But instead of like lowering kids to the candy cottage, these parents straight up just steal babies. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, there you go. I always thought it was funny that the witch was surrounded by a house made of candy, but she wanted to eat children. I'm like, why don't you just eat your house? <laughs> I mean, that's what I would have done. Let's move on to our last story. Same subreddit posted by you slash Jaylay. It's called The Clearing. Maisie stirred as she heard the loud caw overhead. With a smile, she glanced up at the handsome crow sitting on the branch above her head and playfully lifted a finger to her lips to whisper, Shh. Her husband lay in the grass of the clearing next to her. She wanted to savor the moment of peace in the warm sunshine of the clearing. She loved this space. It was here that her mama had taught her about the crows, how they remember those who are kind to them. Her husband stirred sleepily next to her in the grass, and she shifted to study him. Tall, handsome, and sure, he had won Maisie's heart with his kind words and gentle hands. Her mama hated him almost on sight, but by then the cancer had left her so weak and delirious that she was certain her mother's intuition had begun to fail her. They'd married a few months after Maisie's mother had been put in the ground and moved into a cute little cottage. Their life in the beginning was so perfect. They'd often taken walks through the woods into the clearing together, making love in the tall grass. She frowned as a passing cloud sent a shiver over her sun-warmed skin and scooted closer to her husband to keep him warm. Not yet. Then he'd begun staying late after work, returning deep in the night with bloodshot eyes. He stopped going for walks to the clearing, stopped returning her laughter and long looks. His gentle hands turned mean and his kind words turned cruel. Through it all, Maisie kept going to her clearing and feeding the crows, hoping against all odds he'd find his way back to her again. He stirred again in the grass. She brushed his hair away from his face and planted a soft kiss on his forehead. His eyes slowly opened and Maisie watched as disgust and fear battled across his face. He tried to speak, but the gag in his mouth held his tongue as well as a rope in his hands and feet kept him immobile. Maisie stood and brushed her arms, not even registering the fresh bruises he'd given her the night before, competing with the older ones he'd administered to her. She heard another caw above her. Her handsome companion had been joined by at least a dozen others with more fluttering in each moment. She stood as a large crow hopped on the rock in front of her. She sighed and drew her small knife. She crouched next to her husband's struggling form on the ground and gently pushed the knife in just beneath his ribs. Was it Lazarus or Prometheus who was destined to be feasted on by the crows? She murmured over her husband's muffled shrieks. After, she stood and strode from the clearing. Any sound he made was drowned out by the sounds of the murder behind her. Always be kind to the crows. Yo. Dark. How'd you feel about that wordplay at the end? That was pretty good. Right? The murder. murder of crows. It's really good. So cool. Yeah. I always forget that's what they're called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some good stories. Yeah, I'm glad you liked them. The, I like it was a little change from what we were used to. Like the first one made me kind of laugh. Yeah. I think because of the accent. Mostly. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, those are some good stories. So once again, if you guys have uh, some of your own, send them our way. Please. You ready for my story? Oh yeah, I'm so ready. What do you think it's about? 
Okay, to be honest, I have no idea. Uh, like, <laughs> one of the last times we recorded, you told a really cool zombie story. And then before that, it was a story about missing hikers. It could be anything. I have no idea. It's true. <laughs> so, my story today is about vampires. I dun, like dun, it. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> More specific, vampires in New Orleans. Okay. Vampires. Are they real? History has a funny way of depicting these bloodthirsty creatures. Movies, books, podcasts, and even comic books share how vampires use their vampiric powers to lure unsuspecting victims to a bloody demise. Well, for the vampires, they would just call it lunch. (laughs) New Orleans shares a fantastic and interesting history. Thousands of people visit the city to celebrate Mardi Gras. Even a nickname was given to the city, the Big Easy, because there were countless jobs available in the 1920s. Nightlife brought a sense of excitement to the locals and even visitors. It was a carefree time and a carefree city. Fast forward 10 years, the Great Depression hit New Orleans and its people in a very hard way. Jobs and food were now scarce. This is the time when our story takes place. The city has been plagued with horror stories for most of its life. Voodoo, ghosts, witchcraft, and of course, vampires. Are they real though? Or are they people pretending to be? To preface, this story has many different versions, but from the research I did, this is how I truly believe it all happened. John and Wayne Carter were two brothers who lived together in the beautiful southern city of New Orleans. They were local dock workers who lived an average life. Both were about five foot six inches, six to eight inches, and weighed roughly 160 pounds each. So they're not the biggest guys, just average Joes, right? Right. One day, a screaming woman ran frantic through the streets of New Orleans. Bystanders could only watch in horror as they saw this woman, covered in blood, cry for anyone to help her. When a policeman finally reached her, he could not believe what this woman was telling him. Just up the road was a house of horrors. What this woman had escaped from was the shared home of John and Wayne Carter. And here is a image. I'll show you real quick. This is, uh, there's a bunch of different images, but this is what I found a few times, so I'm guessing this is the right one, of their corner apartment slash house. Okay, yeah, that's like classic New Orleans, Mm -hmm. like Bourbon Street. Yep, Yeah. Yeah, just to give you an idea. When police knocked on the door of the residence, no one came. No one was home. The two brothers were still working at the docks. With the testimony of the woman in mind, they had no choice but to barge in and see for themselves. Inside the home, police found almost a dozen bodies, four of them still alive and tied to chairs. The deceased were covered in blood-stained sheets. They all shared the same thing. Their wrists were cut and then bandaged as if to heal their wounds. So that was a strange thing for the investigators to wrap their heads around. Why slit their wrists and then try to heal them? If they're dead. The dead and the living. Oh, and the living. Mm-hmm. It was all mm-hmm. of them. 
The woman that helped authorities find the crime scene only escaped due to the careless way her captors tied her bonds. She was rushed to the hospital. Her wrists were cut in a way that she could have died from them, but it would take a long time to bleed out. So luckily, the doctors were able to save her, just by the way. That's good. Without wanting to miss their chance, 10 police officers waited in the Carter's home for the brothers to return from work. When they finally did, it took eight to nine officers to try to subdue the two. And just keep in mind, these guys were only like 160 pounds each, 5'6", 5'8", so not the biggest guys once again. But they were both able to fight off the police officers and jump out the window and escape. (laughs) Jeez. They had bested New Orleans' finest. However, they're not the brightest two people on the block. After hiding from police that night, they stupidly went back to the docks the next morning for their shifts. The police had the same thought and met the brothers at the docks. So stupid. Dummies. So stupid. As soon as the two were arrested... They admitted to the murders and kidnapping. They then begged to be killed. Please kill us so we can kill no more. Please. If they were released, they knew they would keep capturing people and drink their blood till their bodies dried up. So they did drink their blood. They did. The Carter brothers told authorities, we are vampires. (laughs) What? Oh my gosh. (laughs) They tried convincing police that they were superhuman and needed to feast on human blood to survive. The jury found them to be, in fact, human and were found guilty of murder and kidnapping. What kind of test did they do? Like, did the jury (laughs) or did the attorneys hold a mirror in front of them? (laughs) Some garlic. Thou doth have reflection. (laughs) (laughs) Put a crucifix on their skin. It's like, oh, didn't burn. Yeah. Some holy water. Spray it on them. (laughs) something they were sentenced to death for the kidnapping and murders of those found victims however it does not state if they were the only victims there could have been more to help with their blood lust probably likely so it's funny like i didn't i didn't find anything about them admitting to more murders or anything like that especially if they were like you know trying to feast on them so what they were doing if you can't tell they would drink the blood, and then bandage them to be able to go back and feast again. So, Oh, okay. So they would only get a little bit mm -hmm. and then go back. Mm -hmm. So that's why those four were tied to chairs because they would just go back for more blood. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the dead, they pretty pretty much, I'm guessing, just bled out. But I also read in one of the stories, once again, there are multiple different versions of this story, but in one of them, they said that they would continuously go back to the dead victims to drink their blood. Interesting. As well. Because so. the blood probably wouldn't flow. So I wonder how they'd get it. Gravity. <laughs> Let it flow down, probably. Maybe. I guess it depends on how long they've been dead for. Sure. The bodies of the brothers were laid to rest in the family tomb located in New Orleans. When another of their family members passed away, they reopened the family tomb to put that uh, family member's body in there. But instead, they found nothing. The coffins uh, that contained the self-proclaimed vampires had vanished without a trace. No one (laughs) knows. Yeah, 
Exactly. No one knows to this day what happened to their bodies and also has not come forward with any information regarding that. So, like, no clues, nothing. It's just still missing today. Coffins, the bodies, gone. The tomb is wow. still there. So, here is a picture of the tomb. I put it in quotes because we're not sure what it really looks like. But some say that this picture is a picture of the tomb. But that looks pretty small. So, I'm not sure. Uh, these it pictures... Sorry, it could be, like, an underground one, too. Sure. That has a little staircase. Right. Uh, these pictures will be on our Instagram, just by the way. You can check those out there. Today, there are many counts of people who still see the brothers wandering around Royal Street and St. Anne Street, the corner where they used to keep their captors in their house of horrors. People have seen two persons, or spirits, leap from the balcony, as the brothers did when they tried to escape, and disappear before impact. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. I want to see that. Did they... <laughs> Did they jump and go, bat? <laughs> like they do in what we do in the shadows. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and fly away. <laughs> Great show, by the way. Uh, so good. So good. So there have also been reports of two men just sitting, having a chat with one another, but they're in clothing from the 1920s and 1930s. They're sitting on the balcony just having a chat. That's rad. Could they still be there haunting their former house of horrors, waiting for their next meal to arrive? If you're curious to know, the house still stands there to this day, obviously. You can visit the outside of it as there are currently tenants who rent it. You're if, kidding. Yeah. They willingly rent it. So, Well, I mean, who knows if they actually know the story of it. So, I mean, it's not like I would consider it. I'll be honest. I would consider it. <laughs> just a, just a, bunch of, a bunch of people in there that have died or bled out or, you know, whatever. 14 new friends. Sure. <laughs> if you're one of the unlucky tenants who do not know what happened in that home, you may come to find that the brothers aren't done with their vampiric work. The lease is often canceled due to very eerie and strange things happening in that very same unit. One of the victims who lived, their name was Felipe. Felipe claimed to have gone on their own vampiric spree, feasting on a total of 32 victims. We know this because his journal was found in a bourbon street containing the details of how he gained a desire to drink blood. Unfortunately, he was never found. He just yelled bat, flew away again. <laughs> bat! <laughs> uh, there, there was a thing I saw that said Felipe, he, he just skipped town pretty much. So no one ever like saw him again. Not that he really like disappeared, he just left town. But they found his diary or journal. Oh, leftover. Wow. I don't have it here in my notes, but I remember reading that there were two other pe- victims that that survived who also had this weird bloodlust. One of them, she was anxious to drink blood and then checked herself into a mental mental institution. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and then another one. This one is more of a rumor because there was no concrete evidence. Uh, another one admitted to drinking over like 140 victims blood having another what like yeah so you know how in vampiric lore you bite someone if you if you're not feasting on them you're turning them then they obviously turn into a vampire and then they need to drink the blood so Mm -hmm. were they actually vampires did they actually turn some people into vampires 
Interesting. Huh. The fact that their corpses were missing, never found. They just got up and walked out. Honestly, I would almost prefer that, like, vampires to be real in this context than, like, some crazed fan who was like, yay, corpses, and went and stole them. (laughs) Yeah, probably. I mean, it was the 30s. That was a time that, like, news like that made people excited and and were very curious about stuff like that, you know. They weren't like, oh, it's just tabloids. Yeah, it was the talk of the town. I'm sure it was. Sure. So maybe there were a few fans, like you said, who wanted to go and grab their bodies and dip. Who knows? Maybe feast on them for themselves. Maybe. Or maybe it was Felipe, that son of a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe they were vampires. Fair enough. Well, that's my story. That was cool. I liked it. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, there's like three or four different versions of this story. But from what I gathered from all of them, this is like how how it went down pretty much. Okay. So, yeah, look it up for yourself if you're curious. Vampires in New Orleans. Yeah. That reminds me of this horror movie I just watched over the weekend called Honeydew. Have you Mm. heard of that? I've not. It's very interesting. It's kind of artistic, but basically it's about these, like, backwoods cannibals that keep their victims alive, but, like, saw off piece by piece. Yeah. But, like, nurse them to health and keep them alive and then eat more of their body. Yeah. So they just slowly kill them. You have this, you have this massive grin on your face right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they cut off little pieces. It's so cool. As and then they heal. Sticker on my water bottle from you that says, Yay, serial killer documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> Anything uh, else from you? That's all I got. We'll uh, spook you in the next one. Stay spooky.